0: Hi, I'm Kirk Flagg. Welcome to the PEO InSync podcast. In each episode, we will take you behind the scenes to explore the ever-changing PEO world. We will talk with the industry legends, the people whose hard work and creativity shape the PEO world of today. Also, we'll interview current industry leaders, those who are using their own creativity to grow and expand what it means to be a PEO. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Good morning. As I said in my final episode for last season, as soon as the Viking River case came out from the U.S. Supreme Court, I was going to have my go-to person on PAGA claims uh, discuss the implications for you. Um, I think it's a very important decision for PEOs and employers in general. But today I have with me Boris Sorcher, and um, he's As I said, he's with uh, Fisher & Phillips and is a top PAGA attorney with their firm. So, Boris, uh, thank you for joining me today.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me.
0: Do you want to tell us a little bit about your practice and what you do? Uh, And you can just limit it to PAGA if you'd like or go broader.
1: Sure. So, most of what I do is wage an hour class action defense. And that includes in it both class actions and Paga. And those are the types of cases that, unfortunately, if you're stuck with one of those cases and you're an employer, you're going to be dealing with a lot of very complicated and expensive issues. And I help to get employers out of those. And that's probably 80% of my practice. And in California, you, there's a lot of volume in those types of cases, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I should have stated beforehand that PAGA is a private attorney general's act specific to the state of California. And is one of the many reasons employers just love, or PEOs love coming in to do business in California. Could you go on and explain PAGA from your standpoint? Is this a separate cause of action? Is this a procedure? How does this PAGA work?
1: So the easiest way to conceptualize PAGA is to think of it as effectively a mini class action. And it's, it's a statute that was passed in, well, It was uh, codified in 2004. It was technically passed in 2003. And so it's been around for some time. It came into popularity after 2012 because of a U.S. Supreme Court decision, which basically closed the door on most class actions in California, but opened a potential window, which ended up being PAGA. Now, the way PAGA works is if you have a wage-narrow claim, or basically any claim for violation of the California labor code, you can assert that claim on behalf of yourself and other alleged aggrieved employees, which is basically anybody else who worked for the company in a one year look back. And you're bringing that claim in a representative capacity, which is very similar in many ways to a class action. You represent everybody else. You get to stack the penalties of other individuals and aggregate them with yours. That acts basically as a force multiplier and an expense multiplier because it's not just your penalties, it's the penalties of everybody. And the reason it kind of looks like a class action is because you're going to be looking at the same claims that somebody would bring on a class basis on a four or three year look back. You're going to be looking at it at a one year look back. But again, it's representative. You're going to be looking at the violations for other individuals. And unlike a class action, you don't actually have to go through the rigors of certifying the claim and proving that it needs to be certified in court.
0: Well, from my experience, uh, something, you know, failing to pay a, a meal break time or, or some minor issue on a pay uh, stub can turn into Know hundreds and thousands of dollars of settlements and millions if it went to court. That's how I view it from an employer standpoint.
1: Yeah, these cases gained popularity on the plaintiff side because there was an ability to blackboard, and I only really say blackboard because very few of these cases ended up going to trial. But if you go into a mediation or a settlement discussion or a mandatory settlement conference with the judge on the plaintiff side, you could say that conceptually PAG allows for something called stacking of penalties, which is you take every alleged violation of the labor code and you go for every violation. And sometimes there's six or seven violations alleged per employee per pay period, you get a separate penalty. And once you stack up six or seven penalties per employee per pay period, some of those penalties are $50. Some of them are hundred, some of them are 250. And once you start stacking those, you can have a thousand dollars plus per employee per pay period. And sometimes you're looking at weekly pay periods of 52 you know, pay periods a year. And if you have an employee workforce of even just hundred people or so, it could become very expensive if you blackboard the maximum penalties. And on top of that, fees are recoverable as well. And so then you tack fees onto that and these cases become a very scary proposition for employers.
0: Let me play uh, or put you in the role of a law school professor. And what was the issue that Viking River cruises brought to the Supreme Court? What were they complaining about? So, like
1: I said earlier, these cases gained in popularity in 2012. The reason they gained in popularity in 2012 is because in California, you could bring a class claim and you couldn't stop that class claim with an arbitration agreement because the arbitration agreement could have a class action waiver, but it would have zero effect. In 2012, the U.S. Supreme Court blessed having class action waivers in a case called AT&T versus Concepcion. And in that case, it basically made the plaintiff's bar look for another way or as a result of that case, it made uh, the plaintiff's bar look for another way to try to go after a company. They found PAGA and they alleged that PAGA should be treated differently and shouldn't be subject to the class action. Agreement. This issue went up to the California Supreme Court and the California Supreme Court decided this in the Ascanian case and then said, yes, we agree with you plaintiff's attorneys, PAGA will be separate and immune from the class action waivers in arbitration agreements. So if you have an arbitration agreement and you have a class waiver, the PAGA claim survives, rights through and you could still use that as an effective tool against employers. In Viking, after three or four attempts of getting the US Supreme Court to hear the issue, the defense bar finally got the US Supreme Court to weigh in on whether or not the California Supreme Court got it right. Really, are PAGA claims, and unique little animals that get to survive class action waivers, or in some respects, should they be given the same treatment and can you cram that claim down from a representative claim into an individual? Claim? And that was the primary question that the US Supreme Court was being asked to decide. And in many ways, it was an existential question for payer claims, because if a payer claim is no longer representative in the sense that it's covering other employees, mm-hmm. it loses the bulk of its value to the plaintiff's bar. It's no longer scary, it's no longer expensive. And it kind of kills that entire form of litigation or potentially does. And that's what the defense bar was trying to get the U.S. Supreme Court to weigh in on. Go ahead. I'm going to jump into what actually happened. So uh, the opinion came out and the opinion was, frankly, very exciting for the defense bar because the court gave the defense bar most of what it wanted. It did not say that an arbitration agreement, if you have it and it has a class action waiver, completely kills a PAGA claim. But it said something that was almost as good. Basically, the decision was, if you have a class waiver and somebody asserts a PAGA claim, what that class waiver is going to do is it's going to say your PAGA claim survives and goes to arbitration. But it goes to arbitration in a very skinny, slimmed down way. It becomes the claim that covers your personal pay periods. So if you worked for the company for five weeks, instead of it being a claim for penalties that are owed for everybody who worked for that company for a year, it's now a claim about your five weeks. And that becomes a very cheap claim to resolve, becomes an effective and easy claim to litigate, and it's not an exciting or sexy claim for the plaintiff's part to take. And so to the large extent, this is a huge victory for the defense part because, you know, the multimillion dollar threat now becomes a five or $10,000 lawsuit, assuming right. that remains the law of the land.
0: One of the things I wanted to, to make clear to people is, you know, the Supreme Court decision did not get rid of PAGA at all. Correct. It just is how it interacts with arbitration claims. So. What percentage of? I'm going to say since we're in a PEO uh, podcast, what percentage of employers with 100 employees or less have arbitration clauses?
1: So, if we're talking about worksite employers with whom the POs interact, small worksite employers generally are lacking in arbitration agreements because they don't have experienced labor and employment counsel who's advising them and who's giving them the forms. Uh, Some do, but most don't. But If those entities are contracting with the larger PEO company, the PEOs tend to have experienced labor and employment counsel. And most of those individuals for the last five or six years have been screaming, get arbitration agreements out there, make sure they have class action waivers. There's many different forms that class action waivers come in and some have uh, clauses that are more susceptible to favorable treatment post-viking, but a lot of them that by them I mean the POs that have these arbitration agreements basically have a tool that is effective for them and is a tool that's effective for their worksite employers to use to kind of squash these claims from being representative claims into individual claims. But those entities that don't have arbitration agreements in place, they're still in the same uh, pre-Viking world where a PAGA claim could be potentially six or seven figures of exposure because they don't have a tool for getting rid of their representative component. Because what Viking does, and they're very clear about this in the majority opinion, is it says we're going to give uh, PAGA this shortened, shriveled kind of version of the stat, uh, of its effect, but only if there's an operative arbitration agreement only if the person who's asserting the claim or the people who are covered by the claim are individuals who have entered into these arbitration agreements. People who are not covered, people who don't have arbitration agreements, they're still free to assert PAGA, they're still free to recover all the penalties on behalf of themselves and other employees who don't have an agreement in place.
0: What should a PAO do if they have clients, employees in the state of California?
1: I think the thing that you should be doing is you should be asking yourself one question or several questions, but the very first question should be, do we have an arbitration agreement in place? The second question is, does that arbitration agreement contain a class action? And the third question is, does that class action waiver extend to representative actions? And that third question is one that is probably going to be one that you're going to want to talk to an attorney about because A number of agreements were drafted in the past to anticipate the possibility of Viking. Some agreements were drafted in such a way as to explicitly exclude value claims to heighten the possibility of their enforcement. So there's gonna be a lot of people who are gonna be looking at their class action waivers and going, can I do more or can I do better with this clause? And I can tell you that the plaintiff's bar is collectively huddling right now, thinking of ways to attack existing clauses and and arguments they can make. So there's a lot of firms, including my firm, which are currently taking our existing agreements and tightening them and squeezing the language a little bit and really taking a fine tooth comb to what that clause looks like, because some people have issues with the way the clause is drafted. Some people have issues with the way severance provisions are drafted. And so I recommend getting an agreement out there if you don't have one and talking to an employment attorney, I recommend taking a look at your agreement, connecting with your existing counsel or maybe new counsel, take a look at that agreement to decide, is this the best version? Um, And then I would also recommend taking a look at how your agreements are authenticated and whether or not you can establish that anybody actually signed these things, because I think that's the next area of attack that we're gonna see.
0: Well, Boris, was there anything else that you'd like to add on Viking uh, River Cruises? Uh, you, I think you had some great insight in how the plaintiffs and defense bars are going forward. And, you know, employers need to look at this as well.
1: I think the last thing that I would add is all of this is very exciting, but we're going to also wait to see what the California legislature does. Uh, Immediately after the case came out, within like 15 minutes, there was already action by some legislators to try to put a fix in place. The concurring opinion in this case basically urges the California legislature to put a fix in place and provide some hints as to how that could be done. I think that's probably a much more difficult lift than people think, but uh, I definitely expect the California legislature to uh, make an attempt at trying to fix this issue and make it
0: more difficult for employers going forward. I'm sure that will be the case. Well, I wanted to get you on because I do think this is an important issue for PEO World. Uh, Boris uh, is in the Irvine office of Fisher and Phillips and uh, urge you to reach out to him if you you have a question about something he said in this interview. Uh, Boris, thank you once again. You've always been a lifesaver for me. Thank you for having me, it was a pleasure to be here.